Good morning again. Uh, it is really good to be with you. Again, if you came in a little bit later, my name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this morning, we are delighted to have a guest preacher with us. Father Herb is a uh, is on staff at Christ Church, which is the church that planted us about eight years ago. I don't actually know, is your title like evangelist in residence? Do I have that right? And then Herb is also a captain in the church army, which maybe you'll share a little bit about what that means and does not mean and that sort of thing. Um, But why don't you come on up, and we would love to pray a blessing over Herb. Um, Herb's a real gift to the church here in Austin and then also to the Anglican Church in North America more broadly and works with Matthew 25, a justice and mercy initiative of the province and that sort of thing. And it's been a real delight to have him here in Austin for about a year now. A little over a year. A little over a year. And this is the second time you've been here. Second time. All right. Well, as as our custom, I'm going to invite you all to extend a hand and we're going to pray for Herb as he brings and opens the word for us. Gracious and almighty God, thank you for Herb and thank you for the gift that he is to Church of the Cross and to Christ Church and the, the church here in Austin in general, as well as the church in North America. And we pray this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, through Herb, speak to us and open all of our hearts to receive what you would have for us this morning, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks, sir. Well, good morning to you all. Um, Let's see, introductions. Yes, so Church Army, I should tell you about that first. Um, Church Army started in the 1800s, late 1800s in England. It started around the same time as the Salvation Army. How many people have heard of the Salvation Army? Awesome. How many people have heard of Church Army? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, well, the fun thing about Church Army is we are actually in 35 different countries. Uh, we have a college in Kenya, uh, and uh, everywhere the English uh, expanse expanded, we were on the hills, uh, heels, uh, and sharing the gospel. So, uh, in the United States specifically, um, I am an evangelist in residence here, and my job is threefold. One, it is to reach the least the last and the loss of the gospel of Christ and the brains of life and ministry of the church. Secondly, it's to prepare people to reach the least, the last and the loss of the gospel of Christ. And thirdly, prepare the church to receive those who've been reached. So that's kind of a trifecta or, or the trinity of, of what I do. And so at Christ Church, uh, as well as in the province, uh, um, part of what I do is raise the level of evangelism uh, and demystify a word that uh, for some of us, uh, has a lot of pain and knocking on doors and standing on street corners with uh, soapboxes and megaphones. So that's not what I do. Uh, and I teach people how to actually share the gospel, which I feel like that's something that we should know how to do as Christians. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So that's that. There's the introduction. Uh, I'm six seven. Uh, my hair is real. Uh, I didn't play basketball. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, I'm, I'm married. My wife, unfortunately, is uh, not here in Austin with us. Uh, she's with my mother-in-law, who is in the hospital. I think they're watching right now, so hi. Um, uh, so if you can pray for Susan, that's her name. She is uh, coming out. She's coming to the other side of a stroke uh, and hoping to have heart surgery uh, in the near future. So, uh, And I have my daughter, hopefully, will be here later on as well. We have four girls. Uh, we've adopted uh, one and a half. I don't know if we've adopted. How do you half? Anyway, we've adopted two kids. My wife and I have two kids. Uh, we fostered like 22 children over our lifetime, so that's been a blast. And I've been here for a year and a half. 
I think that's it. Any other introductions? I ride a Harley. Anyway, all right, so. Um, so those are my greetings. I said that already. Um, let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to be together. Thank you that you have gone before us uh, and prepared our hearts to receive a message from you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one of the most engaging ways that we experience hope in this culture is movies, right? Um, you know the kind of movies like where the underdog captures our heart and uh, they, they can't overcome the struggle, but then somehow, miraculously, they, they, they learn something and then they actually are able to win the battle? Not if you're with me, please. You did some hand-raising earlier, so it's totally interactive. So I, I said that. What movie comes to mind when I ask that, ask that question? Rudy. Wow, that was a, several Rudys in there. Hoosiers. Who said Karate Kid? That's actually what I'm going to use. Yes! That's what I'm talking about. All right, well, let's just jump right into Karate Kid. I was going to... I was like, I thought I'd have to drag this out a little bit more, but no. I'm not finding Nemo. I mean, like, no. All right, so my go-to is a Karate Kid, and I'm talking about the original one. I'm not talking about uh, the one with Jaden Smith. I'm talking about the original Karate Kid who was 22 years old playing a 14-year-old, <laughs> Ralph Macchio. All right, so I got this from IMDb, so I'm just going to read this because I'm, I'm not this eloquent, but here we go. So here's the scene, California. 1984, having left Newark's cold winters behind him, shy Daniel LaRusso moves with his widowed mother to Reseda, Reseda? Reseda neighborhood in sunny Los Angeles. But Daniel must find his feet. Of course, fitting, is, fitting in is easier said than done. And, and as if new beginnings weren't challenging enough, a vicious gang of local karate bullies have set their sights on making life miserable for the young newcomer in and out of school. With no one to turn to for advice, Daniel has a pivotal encounter with Mr. Miyagi, the building's inscrutable caretaker and unexpected master martial arts mentor. As a grizzled karate expert takes Daniel under his wing, the teacher and student embark on a life-changing journey of friendship and self-discovery. However, does the inexperienced LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi's compassionate Okinawan defense style stand a chance against Cobra Kai's Dojo, Dojo's brutal Johnny Lawrence, the two-time winner of the All-Valley Under-18 Golden Trophy? That's it. That's the whole introduction. That's... <laughs> Well, you guys know how it plays out, right? Has anyone not seen The Karate Kid? Seriously? <laughs> there are people, Peter, what are you doing here? <laughs> there are three of you, I mean, some of you young folks, I get it, but like the adults in a room? All right, well, it ends, I'm just, I'm just, it was 84. I mean, like, I don't feel like I'm giving any spoilers at this point. Uh, but it ends with a crane kick. Right? I'm not going to do that. Don't. Anyway, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do the kick, like I said, but there was this victory. We all felt it, right? We all felt that, that, uh, that victory inside of us. Anyone who's ever felt like an outsider in some way, every one of us who've ever felt like an outsider saw ourselves in the Karate Kid. We all wanted a Mr. Miyagi who would take us under our wing, uh, under his wing and teach us how to catch flies with chopsticks. To, to mentor us, to believe in us when we couldn't believe in ourselves. We want purpose, but in the best way. We want to matter against all the odds that are stacked against us. The odds that tell us that we can't and we won't. The underdog becomes the hero. It captures our imagination and, and it fills us with hope, yeah? The problem is, in the real world, we don't always have a perspective or an imagination that is fueled by the Holy Spirit, that God sees us and that our hope is in him. So what captures our imagination, what we do hope in oftentimes is what we talk about, right? Let's go back to the river from our our reading earlier today. I want you to go with me in your imagination. That's what we're going to do. We're going to actively activate our imaginations. So there is mud between our toes. People who are lined up along the Jordan, listening to John, convicted of their own sin. We've come away from the trappings of the lives that we've lived to see John preaching, wearing clothes made from camel's hair and eating bugs dipped in honey. Apparently, that has become a delicacy in some parts. Still not doing that. But it's already a strange sight. I can imagine the sound of people weeping as they're dealing with their own sin. Overwhelmed, with their own attempts to be good and failing, overwhelmed with grief because they've tried and not been successful. But what else would draw people from their homes to go out to this countryside? I I can smell the seawater. You guys know what that smells like, right? And you can taste it. And perhaps down the river a bit, there are people who are fishing. There's this heaviness in the air. The people weighed down with conviction, feeling there has to be something more. So they show up. They show up to see a man that, who we would most certainly not give the time of day to today. If he was standing on the street corner yelling or preaching or yelling and preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. In our mind, we would be saying, uh, I don't think so. In our hands would perhaps be the switches, rolling the window up and, and uh, ready to lock the door if it's not already locked, if we get it close enough to him. Am I right? We want to be safe. We want to be in control. 
but we know we're not. And yet we continue to pretend. And still the we hear this voice of one crying out in the wilderness, gaining the attention of the people who recognize their need for change, baptizing them with water, a symbolic washing away of the discretions of their past, a a public declaration of a desire for something new. I heard a C.S. Lewis quote that I'll share with you. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. They've been weighed, measured, and found wanting. The people are in a position of expectation. They're expecting to be free. They are desperate to be free. John is saying that someone is coming to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Someone is coming to offer them eternal freedom. There is more to this than what I'm doing, I can hear John saying. I can start the process, but I am not the Messiah. John recognizes Jesus and in turn recognizes his own position recognizes his own need of Jesus and recognizes that God is indeed with him. To the casual observer, I can imagine the befuddled look on people's faces. I can imagine them saying, we came out here to hear you preach, to confess, to repent, to be baptized because we want something better. We trusted you even though you look crazy, John. So what is happening right now? Where is this voice coming from? And is that a dove or fire or or are we seeing things? And God does not disappoint. There in the streams of the Jordan, the Trinity is present. We, We hear the Father speaking to his Son, And we see the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God is present in the moment. And the people there are enraptured. John says later on, after being confronted by some of his followers, I must decrease and he, Jesus, must increase. John recognizes his place And what level of humility do you have to have to say that I'm not worthy to tie your sandals? Tying sandals was left to the servant class, the indentured servants, the bottom rung of society. It was their duty to serve others. And John was saying that he wasn't even worthy to do that. John is clear that he is not the Messiah, that there is this chasm between his value, his self-importance, and the reality of who Jesus is. In comparison to the greatness of Jesus, John sees that he is nothing. He must decrease. 
Some of you perhaps have asked the question, why then did Jesus get baptized? I think it's a fair question, actually, because they were baptizing in response to repenting of their sins. Jesus, who knew no sin, took on sin, right? So why is Jesus getting baptized? I don't know. No, I'm I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Wouldn't it be awesome if a preacher's got up one time and just said, I don't know, really, and just sat down? Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm not going to do that. All right. I really don't. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to take a stab at it. All right. Let's look at what God says about Jesus. He says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What has Jesus done that was well-pleasing to the Father? If we were in a classroom, I'd ask for you to actually give me an answer back. What was it that he's done that he's done that would be well-pleasing to the Father? Yeah, he showed up. He showed up and he humbled himself. His humility, I don't. If we were in a Pentecostal church, I'd be like, I don't think you're hearing me right now. (laughs) But we're not. We're an Anglican church, so I won't do that. Um, His humility was well-pleasing to the Father. He positioned himself as a servant to all. And that was well-pleasing to the Father. His humility... Choosing to walk in the very nature of the Father to take on the work of redemption of all mankind. But isn't that the foundation of our faith? Our imagination engaged that God would present himself in the person of Jesus. There are are these words that carry weight that theologians throw around. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm not the most studious, but I am familiar with the Google. So I'm not overwhelmed with words like propitiation, substitutionary atonement, incarnational, and Emmanuel. Propitiation is this satisfying of God's just demands for punishment against all sin and sinners. It means to satisfy a holy law and a holy God that demands punishment for our sin. If God is just, then there should, there must be punishment for sin. If God is just. For justice to exist, there needs to be punishment for wrongdoing. Okay, think about it, think about it. All right, think about it. All right, all right. Substitutionary atonement refers to Jesus dying as a substitute for sinners. And so we have Jesus taking on the punishment that we justly deserve. Okay, all right, all right, you're a little better, a little better, all right. Third one, a central doctrine of the Christian faith which affirms that God took human form in the body of Christ. In other words, God was incarnated in human flesh, John 1.1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're still good with that. Okay. 
And finally, Emmanuel, which is Greek, and it means God with us. And we go all the way back to uh, Isaiah, and he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means that... Okay, all right, all right. This is a choice that Jesus made. I love, I love talking to people about choice uh, and how Jesus, even Jesus, made the choice. He didn't... He had an option. He had, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You, I'll tell you why. Jesus had an option. You remember when he's in the garden? Right? And he says, hey, you guys, can y'all watch? Because I got some serious things I need to process with my dad. Can you just keep a lookout? Right? And he goes and he has this conversation with, 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 with God. He's like, God, if there's another way to do this, If there's a plan B, if I can opt out of this, I will gladly do that. But it's not about me, it's about you, right? So he goes back to his disciples and they're knocked out. And he's like, bruh, really? Can you just, can you not just stay awake for an hour? Can you see I'm literally sweating blood? Right, and, and he goes back and he has a conversation again with his dad. He's like, dad, and I'm serious now. Uh, I'm really struggling here. The sins of the whole world? Even that guy? And he comes back. Y'all sleeping again? Seriously? Stay awake. Front row. And he goes back a third time. And so Jesus has this choice. We see that he is struggling with the reality of sin. He understands the weight of sin. And even Jesus doesn't, even Jesus is like, ugh. He who knew no sin Titus 3, 5 through 7. If you want to turn there, you can. It's not in our summary thing. Or you can just listen to me read it. It's up to you. No turning? Okay. Back in the day, people would be like, you hear pages turning, stuff like that, and you'd be like, you could hear it, and you'd be like, oh, they're really getting into it. Now you, you can't hear fingers scrolling. It's not the same thing, unless you have clicky nails. Um, Titus 3, 5 through 7, he says, He, God, saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. It's that hope piece. The foundation of our faith, of the Christian faith, is the belief in the miraculous. It's the foundation of our entire way of life, if Jesus indeed is Lord. A thing growing as its foundation, a thing grows as its foundation grows. 
as we understand better the foundation of our faith, we grow. So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe in the miraculous? Do we hope in the Lord or are we still going about our days trying to make it all work out while ignoring the nagging feeling of desperation? I was having dinner not too long ago with a friend and we began to talk about at least two of the things you're not supposed to talk about at dinner. Religion and politics. But I also have this Holy Spirit-inspired imagination that anchors me because my hope is in heaven, so I'm like, let's go. I'm heading into this conversation. Uh, Sometimes I can listen to what a person says and simultaneously hear what the Holy Spirit is saying sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes I put my foot in my mouth. But sometimes I can hear what God is saying as I'm listening to a person, and I I can be the mouthpiece of God in that moment. Right. So we chatted about the power dynamics of this country and how should our faith inform how we engage in the political arena. Are we called to speak out about against injustice? Yes, that is correct answer. Yes, that is correct. Are we called to companion the marginalized? Yes, yes, we are also good. But sometimes. Sometimes we do more speaking than companioning. Sometimes we feel like we've actually done the thing that we've been obedient to God because we've said some words. Sometimes we feel like because we've spoken out, we voted, complained, and got into an argument on social media that we've done a thing. And sometimes we feel ineffective because that doesn't actually scratch the itch. It doesn't move the needle forward. We don't experience peace. My friend said toward the end of our conversation that he was discouraged, or perhaps he said he was overwhelmed with the magnitude of evil in the world. We can feel just like the karate kid, that the world is against us. It can sap our strength and sap our hope. But to have our imagination active, we need to repent of unbelief. We need to repent of staying distracted. We need to repent of putting our hope in hopeless things. Perhaps a solution for some of you this morning is to ask the Holy Spirit to show you the miraculous things that are already happening in your day-to-day life. Perhaps for others of you, you need to be reminded of how God has shown up for you in the past. Tell those stories Relive those stories, his story of loving you. And and perhaps others of you need to take a journey out into the wilderness to listen to a wild man remind you that Jesus is the Messiah. What if 
we begin to maintain our position as one who needs help and move away from a sense of self-sufficiency? What if we begin to see other people as main characters in God's story of redemption? What if we were honest about our feelings of being overwhelmed and brought those feelings to the Lord? What if we listened to, the other, to other people and at the right time reminded them that Jesus is the hope of the world, even as we are reminded ourselves? We have received hope, not as a reward, but as a gift. Let's give it away. Amen.